Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to Unity Online Radio and my show, World Spirituality Today. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And it's actually Mardi Gras if you're listening live, so I hope you enjoy uh, today. Uh, Today we explore a brilliant new book. It's entitled Tarot and the Gates of Light, a Kabbalistic uh, Path to Liberation which combines uh, elements of the Jewish Tree of Life with elements from the Tarot deck. And admixed with all this is the the sensibility of the author, uh, Mark Horn, who describes himself as a Jew-boo, a Jewish Buddhist, as well as someone intimately familiar with both Tarot and Jewish mysticism. He studied with leading Tarot writers and practitioners, as well as uh, several um, esteemed Jewish academic, religious, and practical teachers. And he truly brings a lifetime of insight into this illuminating book. Uh, It's a textbook, actually, that you can go back to over and over again. So it's been a joy for me to read it, and it's an equal joy to welcome Mark Horn to today's show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, it truly is a fabulous book because, uh, you know, a lot of the books I, that come out on, on these subjects, um, you, you know, they're quite interesting. But often there's a level of, uh, shall I say, woo-woo sometimes with them. You know, there's a little mm. bit of uh, yes. new agey thing with it. What I liked about your book is it's it's screwed down tight, isn't it? It's it's um, it's real, right? There's um, there's something grounded in it that uh, is, is sort of no flies on it, if you, if you see what I mean. And I, I like oh, that it's about meant to, it. It's meant to be very practical, uh, you know, yes. Kabbalah as a path. And even, you know, people think of tarot as, as kind of woo-woo. But the reality is, if you're working with it as intended, it really is a practical path for navigating spirituality in daily life. Yeah, I, I've been... Reading the tarot cards since I was, I don't know, a teenager, so that's 50-some years now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's ever fascinating, isn't it? You can never um, exhaust it because there's, there's so many combinations of things, I guess. So it, it tru- truly is a wonderful system. And then you add the, uh, the you know, the, the systems of Jewish mysticism as well, which are, in, you know, equally profound, aren't they? Um, so to, to have the two working together is... Um, you know, it, it really illuminates the mind. You know, it makes you go aha a lot because uh, you see correspondences perhaps 
that you, you know you hadn't noticed before. But for those of us who are not familiar with uh, either Tarot or the the Tree of Life and you know Kabbalistic thinking, um, let's back up a little bit and talk mm. talk about that. Um, in a, sort of a th- thumbnail, uh, wh- how would you describe both of those? Uh, those traditions? Well, tarot is a, a tradition that originated in, in Europe in the 14th century. Um, it, you know, arose, it was a, a system of playing cards, and people also used it for divination at the time. And it, it's kind of different from a regular pack of cards. It has a second set called the, the Major Arcana, all of which sort of feel like Jungian archetypes and has been written as such by uh, spiritual folks and Jungians uh, for many years now. Around the same time, actually a little earlier, a couple of hundred years earlier, uh, in the south of France and in the north of Spain, uh, the, a, a certain strain of Jewish Kabbalah uh, began to uh, appear. And this was... Um, uh, how can I explain? Uh, it was, um, as I say, it was a system of Jewish mysticism designed to get beyond the everyday practices to help people have a direct experience uh, of the divine in their lives, to actually help people experience um, God in the everyday and to see the divine really in all of creation. And it's, um, you know, based in the Bible, isn't it? The, you know, it takes a lot of its inspiration for the Bible. I was just dipping into the, the Zohar earlier today. And, mm. um, you know, that's the, that's the, one of the core texts, isn't it? And, uh, you know, so it, the, the, it's, the Bible... it's all biblically based. It's right. all biblically based. And the interesting thing that happened is that, you know, Kabbalah, which has this um, a glyph, this symbol, the tree of life, which is, of course, mentioned in, in the Bible in the very beginning in Genesis, you have... Uh, in the Garden of Eden, the, the tree of good uh, uh, knowledge of good and evil, and there's also the tree of life, which uh, you know after uh, Adam and Eve eat from the knowledge of good and evil, um, they are banished because uh, God says, "Oh, if they eat from the tree of life, they will become immortal." And the tree of life is actually part of a teaching. It's not a physical tree, but it is uh, an explanation of how uh, God's energy moves into the world and into all of creation, including us. Uh, You know, whether it's tables, people, stars, um, this diagram, which explains how the energy moves and keeps creation uh, going, uh, is something that when we study, we see it active in our lives all around us. And the, the interesting thing that happened is that somebody saw that there was a, a correlation, a correspondence between the structure of the tarot deck and the structure of the diagram of the tree of life. And they began to conform these things so that if you study the tarot, uh, you can actually see and learn the principles of Kabbalah from that. I'm sorry that cut off from what my minute. I hope our audience didn't didn't have a problem with it, but I did. But I'm assuming you talked about the the correspondences between the the two systems, right? Yes, yes. Um, you know that uh, the tree of life uh, is the basis, is the structure for the tarot deck, so that um, there are ten uh, energy nodes, sort of like the chakras 
in the Hindu system, uh, in the Jewish system, in the tree of life, these 10 energies uh, correspond to parts on the body. But in the tarot deck, they correspond to the numerical cards, numbers one through 10. And the 22 major arcana cards correspond to the Hebrew letters, um, since there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Interesting, isn't it? And in, yeah. in course, in the book that you, you've just put out, you, you only cover uh, 32 of the 78 cards, you know, and, and yet there's a very rich uh, interpretation. So less than half the cards in the, in the deck, and, and yet we have so much uh, fascinating thing. And I see a sequel or two as a result of that, you know, because we could use uh, some of the major arcana or some of, some of the, uh, the court cards also, in, you know, in that discussion, right? That would be another... Oh, oh, oh very, very definitely. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, that's something I am working on. But, you know, in this book, because I'm introducing a particular Kabbalistic practice, uh, which really anybody can do, whether you're Jewish or not. Um, and uh, when you use the cards, it only takes a certain number of cards. It doesn't use all the cards in the deck. But it's using the cards which help you sort of work out your spirit. It's kind of like a spiritual gymnasium uh, that enables you to clear blockages and strengthen your spiritual muscles so that at the end of this 49-day period, you are able to hold greater uh, uh, amounts of divine light in the world. And we're talking about the period between uh, Passover and Pentecost, right? Yes. Uh, in, in the Christian tradition, you know, we might say between uh, Easter and Pentecost, that, that 50-day period, 49-day mm -hmm. period, right? And yes. you're, you're counting the, the, the Omer, right? Is that what it's, how it's Yes, yes. Yes, it's, it's actually a, a biblical commandment, uh, you know, that it explains uh, that after the second day of, of Passover, we're commanded to count the 49 days that lead up uh, to the arrival of the ancient Israelites at Mount Sinai. The, you know, the way the story goes is on the second day of Passover, the ancient Israelites are freed from their slavery in Egypt and spend the next 49 days trekking through the desert when they all arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai and the entire people receive the revelation uh, of the Torah. And so this is actually a... a practice which prepares people to receive their own revelation at the end of the 49-day period. Because, you know, even today, this is something Jews uh, practice at day between Passover and Pentecost, which of course means 50 days. And in fact, uh, in Christianity, you know, this is uh, a not an unknown uh, concept because, you know, you look at uh, the book of Acts and you read about how the apostles were all gathered uh, in a room on the, the day of Pentecost when all of them uh, receive, or as you, you can read in the book of Acts, how tongues of flame descended upon everyone in the room so that they were all able to go out into uh, the streets and speak in other languages so that they could preach the gospel to others in the languages that they spoke. Uh, and this is the kind of revelation that is on offer on that 50th day. It's fascinating stuff. And, you know, we just uh, covered uh, the Wheel of the Year in, on, on, on another show, looking at that ancient uh, Celtic and, and neo-pagan understanding of the flow of the year. And, you know, that could be interpreted, you know, from the, from the spring uh, equinox through to 
to May Day. Um, it, you know, it's a similar period. It's it's coming forth the beginnings of something. You know, and and, and the unfoldment into fullness of spring, and so uh, and, and fullness of awareness too, because now we're celebrating something, right? We come to Pentecost; it's a time of celebration. For the Christians, it was the celebration of the you know the, the symbolic descending of the spirit into their being, right? Um, and in mm-hmm. the same way, we're in, we're embodying, aren't we? We're embodying. Um, these truths that are, are always latent within us, but we're, we're becoming uh, aware of their presence in a more palpable way, if you like, which is powerful. Mm. And when a group of people all do this together on the planet, you know, they're all working on this same kind of spiritual clock, uh, you, it actually sort of creates a morphic field which helps everyone go deeper into this work. Uh, and I've always found it interesting that uh, not only within Judaism and Christianity, but also within Buddhism, 49 days is a particularly resonant period. Uh, you know, in Buddhism, they believe that it takes 49 days after someone dies uh, for that person's spirit to tra- travel through the uh, various realms before uh, it can return in uh, reincarnate in another body. And, of course, seven is, is symbolic, isn't it, of... Um, mm some level of completeness, right? We see that throughout the Bible and other esoteric traditions. And, and seven times seven, of course, is, is that in uh, multiplied. Uh, you know, it, it's very significant, very important. So that there is that sense of, um, you know, completing some pattern, some uh, outpicturing of something. Um, so there's very another, definitely. Another, another element of that in there. Talk about this idea of... Um, and I love the idea that, you know, when God initially created the universe, um, uh, well, it couldn't be created, right? If God was everything, uh, mm. there, there had to be some kind of withdrawing of God's energy, apparent mm. withdrawing to make space for creation. And mm. not that there's a separation between God and creation, but um, there, there's a diminishing in a, in a way of, of, of God's wholeness so that, um, you know, the universe could exist, so God could enjoy uh, looking at himself, coming home to himself, if you like. Um, Indeed. So, so um, you know, uh, that, that's an interesting thought. And, and I, I loved in the book where, you, where the initial uh, tree of life, you know, went straight down the central pillar um, mm. and shattered, basically, because the energies were so intense, right? And then God had to reimagine again using the, uh, the, the aspect of male and female, so the... Mm. the pillars each side um and the, the sparks that went out right from these this initial um big bang um uh, uh, throughout the universe and it, it, we're, we're sort of in the retrieval mode aren't we and there's this idea of repairing something um bringing it back home talk about that because that's a fascinating idea that, i mean that's so that, that is actually the mission of everyone on the planet that we are all given our own particular task to find the sparks that um, were sort of when uh, God created uh, the universe at the very beginning and things couldn't hold together and these divine sparks were shattered throughout all creation, um, it became incumbent upon humanity to find these sparks and return this holiness as a part of repairing this first creation so that in fact our, our role is in partnership with the divine to complete creation. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, you may find yourself uh, growing up in one place and traveling to another place because it is your destiny 
to find and raise the sparks in that particular part of the world. Well, that must be why I left Britain to come to Texas then. <laughs> well, I, 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 I believe it's here. one of the reasons why I, I ended up living in Japan for seven years. Right, same idea, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of resonance for me in this part of the world, you know. Um, unbeknownst to me when I was a child, I was fascinated, though, with cowboys and Indians and Texas and never thinking for one minute that I would eventually live here. But there's something about the I-35 corridor. You know, I've, I've lived in Austin. I live in Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. I studied in seminary in uh, Kansas City. Uh, you know, I've been up and down that highway a lot. It's, and it's interesting because I would never have picked this area, you know, as, as my, my home. But, you know, we don't always pick, do we? Uh, you no, know, it, it's interesting. for us, if you like. It, it's true. You know, uh, we always, our soul always tells us where we belong. And when we get there, somehow there's the resonance that we understand this is our destiny and there are things here we are called to do. Right. And one of the things that, you know, when you do this practice, you're better able to listen to your soul's words, to hear that sort of divine inner command so that you're better able to sort of um, live the role that you are given divinely and, and experienced your divine birthright of joy. Yeah, I love that. Divine birthright of joy, beautifully put. Mm. Um, so there are 10 sephirot, right, that like we talked about, mm -hmm. um, coming down from the crown above all the way down to the, the kingdom built beneath, which is the sort of emanation, the manifestation of, of all these divine qualities. Um, but in the in the book, you you you've, uh, you start at number four, right? Because the mm -hmm. the first three are kind of ineffable, right? Transcendent. We're we're talking about the crown, and then we're talking mm -hmm. about uh, wisdom and understanding, mm -hmm. right? These mm -hmm. these three. Um, there was a conscious choice to start with with number four, which which is what kindness, mm -hmm. love, compassion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know the practice because it is uh, seven weeks and and seven weeks of seven days each, that's 49. So if you start with uh, the fourth sephirot, sephirah, um, then you have the lower seven to work with. And the lower seven sephirot are in fact the sephirot that we're dealing with on an everyday basis. The top three sephirot really are very difficult for humans to experience because uh, they uh, partake of the divine essence. And in order for us to be able to experience that, we have to clear any blockages in the lower seven sephirot that exist within us. And that's actually part of path working. Uh, when you uh, work on the pathways between the sephirot, you're actually clearing the way for you to be able to experience uh, information coming down from those top three sephirot. Interesting for me is that, uh, you know, each of the sephirot seem to balance each other. It reminds me of the six perfections in, in Buddhist uh, teaching, you know, where you, mm. you have these interconnecting. Um, so so you, ha you have generosity, but then you have also have to have discipline. And in the, in the, in the sephirot, you, you, you know, you have love, but then you also have um, judgment right on the other side. Mm. Um, you know, you, you have... Uh, uh, the beauty that balances these things, and and then you have um, this idea of, of victory, but also this idea of um, what is it? Uh, severity, surrender, uh, yeah. surrender, mm. right? Mm. And, and humility, and right? So so they they have to be balanced, and then sort of the male and female. And I love mm. that 
uh, you know, about this tradition, too, is that, um, you know, sometimes we have this wrong-headed understanding that um, Judaism is very male-oriented, right? Mm. But, but that's not necessarily true, is it? Because it's certainly not in the Kabbalistic tradition where male and female, you know, are incre incredibly important, right? Oh, well, definitely, because, um, you know, the Kabbalists believe that uh, God is beyond gender. And while in when you translate the Hebrew Bible, because Hebrew is a gendered language, uh, you always see the, the, the pronoun he. Uh, Kabbalists uh, know that God transcends a he or she. And in Kabbalistic teaching, um, God is not only yod heh vav -Hey, which is a male emanation, uh, God is also the Shekhinah, which is the female presence of God. And part of this work is, in fact, opening up to the male and female divine within each of us uh, so that we can sort of heal that split within uh, when we're able to heal the split between our inner male and female, we're able to heal the split in the divine world as well. Right. And it reminds me of Hinduism, too. If if, um, if the crown is Shiva, you know, the potentiality mm -hmm. of, of everything, then the, uh, the the kingdom, you know, the, the foundation or the expression of the foundation is is the female, right? So that's mm -hmm. where the Shekinah is, is located. So, they, they again, they balance each other coming down through the emanations you know it's, it's fascinating stuff really um mm. and, and another thing i like is the the four worlds you talk about right which we yes. might call the four elements perhaps you know there's elemental ideas there of, of mm -hmm. fire and water and air mm -hmm. and, and earth but there's also the sort of four elements of our own makeup isn't there the spiritual the intellectual the emotional and the physical right so um they're they're all addressing a different aspect of of these qualities very definitely and part of those four worlds also recognizes that our own souls have four or five, in fact, different levels, and that as we work through this, we're able to work through each level of our own soul so that we're able to get to that part of our, our, our soul that is never separate from God. Yes, beautiful. And, you know, so many ways, uh, so many opportunities. You know, I think you know, there's a saying that you know, God conspires, right, to to help us, to to connect with us, and mm -hmm. and there's no limit to the ways that the divine conspires to break through, right? And 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 it's sad in a church setting or in a in a traditional way of thinking. You know, we we limit the number of ways in which we can appreciate God or the divine, and mm -hmm. and really, God is available everywhere and everything, right? Um, you know, that's, very that's definitely. The of this. One of the things that I, I say in the book, because, you know, the book is called Tarot and the Gates of Light, uh, but the gates are always open to us. It's only a question of our ability to see them and step through. Right. And we have to knock, right? Yes. And knock on the door it, will be open, said Jesus. And sometimes if we're not knocking, um, the door will knock on us. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah, we, he knocks our heads off. Yes. <laughs> knocks us out of our stupidities and our complacencies and our ego fixations, etc., etc. Very definitely. And, and part of the work uh, that this book teaches is, uh, you know, doing this inner work is one way of making certain 
that the universe and the divine doesn't have to do something to sort of knock you up beside the head to say, hey, pay attention and notice that everything uh, is part of the divine plan and you are too. Um, when you actually are working to be in harmony with that, you're less likely to find yourself in a situation where you are getting thrown off by what's happening in the world. Right. And, you know, they say that suffering is optional. I'm not sure I subscribe to that, but mm -hmm. I do subscribe to the idea that, that, you know, there is suffering and then there's useless, unnecessary suffering, as my yes. professor yes. would say, you know. And uh, the Buddha talks about the two arrows, right? The, the arrow that hits us, uh, that causes pain and suffering. But then this, the second arrow is, is our internalizing of that pain and, you know, yes. turning turn it into a story about all our suffering mm -hmm. and oh, ain't it awful. Mm -hmm. So that's unnecessary, right? Uh, life is problematic. We know this. Um, you know, if you're going to, you're going to hurt if you have the body, mm -hmm. um, but you, you don't have to internalize it as, as a, you know, a, a problem the problematic nature of things. Right. Um, so, so one of the things you subtle. just said is, is that, you know, we tell this story and that's part of, uh, one of the things that I like to look at in this book, uh, you know, the mythic underpinning of this uh, practice is the leaving of slavery from Egypt and over the 49 days slowly taking on spiritual responsibility so that we're able to stand as uh, full adults who are free and freely able to accept uh, the divine mission at the end of the 49 days. And that's the spiritual underpinning of the story. But, you know, one of the things that I like to look at is how we use the story sometimes to hold ourselves away from the, the direct experience of the divine. So it's always a question. A story can be a helpful way to get through to see, you know, what we need to see. And sometimes the story can actually be a block. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a joy to have your own story, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. where you've been in your life. But if you, if you become, you know, immersed in it to the degree that you can't be alive now, you know, it's, it's right. definitely, definitely a problem. And, you mm -hmm. know, what's fascinating to you, your story might be wonderfully fascinating, but it's boring as heck to, to anybody else mm -hmm. listening half the time. You know, we're, they're not as enamored of it as we are. So it tells you something right there. Maybe, yeah, maybe oh, it's not oh. necessarily so important. Yes, it's, it's true. And, you know, in the book, one of the things that I do as I, as I explain people how to do this practice uh, is I try and tell a little of my story so that I can reveal um, how you work this path, how you have to be vulnerable and open up spiritually in order to let the divine in. So I, I tell some of my story as a way of showing people how to do it. But you know, it's not about my story. When you read this book, it really is about your story and opening up to the blockages and the way you use your story yourself so that you can open to the divine. Excellent. I'm with Mark Horn. We're talking about his book, Tarot and the Gates of Light. We need to go to the break and we'll be back in a few minutes after these messages from Unity. Join us then. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So, well, uh, I flubbed there, guys. Here I go again. Welcome back to today's show. It's live air. This happens. Um, I'm with uh, Mark Horn. We're talking about his illuminating and lovely book, Tarot and the Gates of Light, or Tarot, actually. When I was a kid, that's the way we pronounced it. But when I got to the Midwest, it was pronounced other ways. But it's nice to hear that Mark's pronouncing it the British way, <laughs> or at least, the, <laughs> at least the East Coast way, I guess. Mm. Uh, Tarot mm. and the Gates of Light, a Kabbalistic path to liberation. And it truly is a fascinating book. It's it's a long book, by the way, that you'll have plenty to read. It's uh, it's over 500 uh, pages long. But but basically, it's it goes through each of the 49 days in great detail. And you mentioned before the break, Mark, that uh, you know you share some of your story in in the book. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the delights of it. Actually, you know, you don't do it over much, but you you put it in very appropriately when you know an interpretation warrants it. And uh, uh, that to me makes it very real and human, um, and, and and helps a lot because um, you know I, I uh, feel very closely aligned with uh, with Buddhism, and, and you mentioned mm. a, a lot of uh, Buddhist practice. So you would consider yourself, uh, as, as they say, a Jupu, right? A Jewish Buddhist. It seems to be quite a thing these days. Uh, definitely, you know, I find that you know. That uh, the Buddhist system and and the Kabbalistic Jewish system are, are really very aligned in a lot of ways. Yes, and well, actually, I find that you know once you get beneath the surface of, of all religions, right? Mm -hmm. There's the sort of mystical co commonality, right? We get into the the place of non-duality, if you like, and um, then we, then we're all talking the same language, I think, right? Uh, we are, although the funny thing is when you get to the place of non-duality, we are beyond language. So we yeah, really there we go. Like the Tao said, you know, those yes. who speak do not know, right? Right. But unfortunately, in order to be able to communicate this, we have to say mm. something. So, mm. uh, however inadequate those those words those <laughs> words might be, but it's the sort of gap, you know. I, I love it when I go to England and uh, go to, go to the London Underground. It says, "Mind the gap," you know, which mm -hmm. which really is a very spiritual statement, isn't it? You know, because we always have to mind the gap, mind the the empty space between thoughts, between actions, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the limit space in, out of which everything arises the uh, you know the, as the, what's it called the ein sof right the uh, the, the or the ayin right the, the 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 mystical nothingness of uh, yes yeah, so, so in, within judaism you know one of the names of god because god has many names within judaism and one of them is ein sof which kind of means the infinite nothingness uh, and, it, you know, it's called infinite nothingness because it is beyond our ability to describe. Uh, you know, the divine is um, something, an experience that is going to blow all our circuits. Our sensorium, all our human senses um, aren't really strong enough to hold the fullness of that light. And in some ways, that's what the ten sephirot are. These emanations are like step-down transformers, each of which is holding a quality of that divine light so that we are able to um, take in just as much from each of these sephirot that our sensorium is able to hold. But, you know, Ein Sof is beyond all of that. And in some ways, is not unlike uh, the Buddhist nirvana, uh, which is, you know, also without end and without any ability to describe it in language. Right, exactly. 
And the same with Hinduism, you know, with the mm. elements of uh, samadhi, you know, the, mm. it's very difficult to, to describe what, what those states are exactly, though we mm -hmm. can sort of position ourselves to enter them, right? The, there's mm -hmm. the techniques to do that, but uh, once you get there, you can't really uh, really talk about it, right? It's, mm. be, it's beyond um, anything we might know, uh, you know, in our, in our three-dimensional reality here. Yes. Yeah, which, which makes it quite interesting. Um, uh, so... Let's talk about, we're sort of getting into the abstruse realms, which I love to talk mm. about and could talk about all day. But I know a lot of the listeners that want something a little more practical. Okay, that sounds great, but how do I live my life in modern-day America with all its craziness, mm. or wherever we are in the world with all its craziness? Um, so uh, let's, let's deep, dig deep into the book uh, to sort of dive in a little bit. Uh, how, do, how do we practice this? I mean, how does it work? So let's take a... It's just, yeah, just go for it. Right, so like, let's look at it. You know, so as I say, it's a 49-day practice of sort of graduated daily meditations. Each day, you're working with two of these sephirotic ener energies. Uh, and as you said earlier, um, you know, we're working with two of them because they need to balance each other. And what we're doing when we meditate on these energies within ourselves we're looking at where the balance is and where the imbalance is. So where does the tarot come in with this? And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, each of the numeric cards corresponds to one of the sephirot. So if uh, we're working with, um, you know, two sephirot, chesach and chesed. Chesed is uh, loving kindness. It is love without bounds. And netzach, uh, really is uh, ambition, persistence, our ego. So let's say you're working on the day that um, is about uh, Netzach that is in Chesed. This is the day that we are enjoined to look at the way that, you know, our ego sometimes gets in the way of our ability to love somebody or our persistence and our ambition uh, clouds our loving kindness. So you know, each day you have a different set of qualities to look at and think about as a way of slowly clearing up any blocks in those areas. And so that's, that's an example of how you do it. And when you look at the images on the cards, uh, and this is one of the, the wonderful things about this, is that, you know, when you, when you hear the idea of the sephirot and you say, okay, chesed is loving kindness, netzach is ego or ambition, those are kind of very mm, abstruse and abstract uh, qualities. But when you look at the images on the cards, which connect to them, all of a sudden it brings it down into lived reality and how we experience that uh, in our everyday lives. So, for example, uh, one of the Netzach cards, uh, the Seven of Wands, you, you will see a, a man standing on a hill, kind of like it's a, a king of the hill situation, and he has a rod, a staff, that he looks like he's holding to protect himself from six other rods that are arrayed in front of him. So he's kind of feeling defensive, and he's uh, you know got his ego up. And uh, when you pair that with uh, the four of wands, which is four uh, in the ground, kind of like a wedding 
uh, canopy. So it's open on all sides. So what you're looking at is a symbol of openness and love uh, in the wedding. And then you see someone who's feeling kind of defended. And you, you have to ask yourself, okay, when I go into a situation where I'm called upon to be loving and open, how does that activate my defenses? And, and are they real or are they not real? And how do I work with them as a way to be able to feel more open? And the, the whole idea of this is not to get locked into any one uh, meaning for the cards or for the, the qualities, right? Because oh, yeah. depending on where well, we are on any particular day, those cards or that quality might might yield something to us that we hadn't the day before. I think it's just like reading the Bible, actually, or any other religious text, right? You, very definitely. You, you read the same each, each, passage each day, and it's totally different. Has a different meaning. So each one of these, Seferot, each one of these energies actually has a constellation of meanings, uh, so that each day you can choose one of these qualities to focus on the one that feels most um, important to you on that day. And when you put these two qualities together, it speaks to you individually where you are in your spiritual search right now. Uh, and one of the things that I do in the book is that for each day and for each of uh, each day's pairing of two sephirot uh, and two uh, tarot cards, I give everybody uh, keywords. Uh, choices of keywords to work with for each of the sephirot, so that when you combine them in different ways, you'll see, oh, this has a particular meaning for me right now, and it's important, so this is the one that I'm going to work with. And, you know, and then we're talking about the four worlds as well, so you get mm. to look at it from different perspectives as well, you know, from a uh, an embodied earthy perspective, right, mm. with, with, with the coins and, and then from a more emotional with the cups and mm. uh, a, a more intellectual perhaps with, with, the, with, with the, the swords. swords. Yes. And, and then you've what? got this fiery sort of spiritual aspect, you know, intuitive aspect with with one. So, so then that gives you a whole nother, uh, another of, set of choices. Uh, yeah. Each day, yeah. you know, you'll find yourself, you know, saying, well, is – the energy of the day calling me to uh, look at something physical in my life? Is it uh, calling me to consider something emotional? Um, is there some way in which my preconceptions or the way I think about things, is that something that I need to look at that's holding me back? Or is there a spiritual quality that I'm experiencing? So that each day, not only are we looking at, at two different uh, cards to uh, uh, combine the sephirotic energies, but we're also choosing which world we want to work with each day. And th in this way, you really uh, choose your own path and you follow the path that is the one that is calling to you. But of course, uh, as you said, every time you, know, you read a Bible passage, it has a different meaning. You can work this uh, process, this practice uh, again and again. And each time you do it, whether you're using the same cards or different cards on that day, you will have a different experience based on where you are in your spiritual journey at that time. Fascinating stuff. You know, there's one card that uh, you refer to, obviously you refer to all of them, but but uh, in, in a certain way, and that's the, the Nine of Cups. Mm. Um, and if you're familiar with it, if you're a tarot reader, uh, you, you may know that card, but if you don't, 
it's it's a man uh, we could say sitting pretty on a, a bench uh, with this mm. uh, with his uh, legs uh, splayed open, a bit like uh, man spreading. I think mm. that's a phrase you use in the book. And, yes. Um, with his arms folded, you know, very kind of you could say a little bit smug. And behind him is the an arc of of nine cups, you know, which could represent. Look at me, I'm so successful. You know, I'm full. I'm full of uh, the flow of abundance or whatever. Um, I'm feeling great about myself. But also, you, you know, the way you've interpreted the card sometimes in, throughout this system is that this this person is a little too smug and self satisfied, right? And um, they're, oh, they're, taking, they're taking things for granted rather than seeing themselves as you know humble uh, instruments of the of abundant good. Yes, you know, this is somebody who is looking at the the cups arrayed behind him as trophies and right. he's interested in showing off to the world rather than opening up uh, his arms and opening up his heart to share with the world. Uh, you know, this is someone who has received many gifts, but seems to be interested in displaying them rather than sharing them. Yes. Interesting. Um, and you know, that could, that, so we could take, uh, you know, depending on the way that card shows up with other cards and, and where we are on that particular day, mm -hmm. um, we could, we could interpret it, you know, in, in different ways. Right. But, uh, oh, great. you know, one of the ways you can look at this card on, you know, on some, on some days and in some pairings, um, when you, this card comes up, one of the questions it doesn't apply to everybody, which is why there are keywords which you play with to see what applies to you. But one of the ways that one can see this card is a question about substance abuse, uh, because here's a man sitting with nine cups arrayed behind him. So that this could, in fact, be uh, pointing towards a problem with alcoholism or any other substance. Yeah, interesting. So there's another range there. We could, mm. you know, I don't know if there's a tarot of the twelve steps, but they they could well be, you know, because there's, there, again, there's lots of correspondences to addiction and and all the hangups that we have, not just drink or drugs, but you know, other fixations that the human is, is subject to sometimes, and um, mm. these cards definitely can help with with that. So you, you well, actually the, one of the things that I I, I just want to emphasize that in some ways a, a lot of twelve step infuses this book and that uh, uh, you could think of this as the 49 steps a more gentle path over 49 days of working the 12 steps uh, from many different angles so that each one doesn't seem so overwhelming and uh, you know I've known people who are, are in 12-step programs who've used the book in just this way and have found it to be very helpful yeah excellent excellent so you use the uh, the Rider Weight uh, Tarot deck, you're right, as for the imagery, right? Mm, Is, yes. Would you say that's your favorite? Well, for this practice, uh, I would recommend it because uh, it, the Rider Weight Smith deck was developed at the end of the 19th, the beginning of the 20th century, uh, by a, a group of uh, British occultists who studied the Kabbalah very deeply. And they were familiar with all of the Sephirot. So that every image uh, on the cards actually shows a meaning of one of the Sephirot, whether from the positive or the negative point of view. 
since every uh, sefirah has a neg has a negative side if it's out of balance. You know, for example, I, you know, I was talking about netzach and the ego. Everybody needs a healthy ego, and netzach is paired with hod, which is uh, the the sefirah of humility. So that when you have uh, ego and humility in good relationship, you have somebody with a strong ego and a strong sense of boundaries, but who has an open enough space to allow other people in. And uh, so the question is, uh, you know, what what does the image on the card show? Does it show a a positive expression of this sephirah or a negative expression? And, you know, someone who is uh, an overly dominating uh, egoic person, that will show up in some of the Netzach cards. Right, interesting. So, do you have other favorite decks as well? Well, uh, I, well, one of there's a new deck out uh, uh, that was put out by Rachel Pollock and uh, Robert K. Place. It's called the Rotsiel deck, and it uh, works off of uh, Judaic uh, mysticism. So, it has many more uh, Judaic symbols, which uh, is something that I like because that's something that I'm very interested in. But there's a, a lovely deck uh, created by a woman named Lisa St. Croix. And one of the reasons I like the St. Croix deck is that it is uh, very different from the Rider Waite deck, which was developed by uh, Europeans. The St. Croix deck takes into account the entire cultures of the world so that you will see influences from uh, the East and from the West, from the North and from the South, from all different cultures, all races, all religions, all kinds of mysticism show up in the symbols in this deck. And in that way, it's very rich and it speaks to me very deeply. Mm, Lovely. Yeah. One of my favorites is the the Druidcraft deck, which, uh, you know, is based on the Rider Waite, basically. So if Mm -hmm. you're familiar with the right of weight, you'd have no problem with it, but but it also introduces it introduces elements of druidism and, mm. and witchcraft and neo paganism and, mm. and and earth based religions as well, mm. which you know resonates with me. So I, I get to have both. I get to have the the nature connection writ large, but also with the, you know, like you say, the very subtle um, insights of the Rider Waite deck, you know, which is, uh, which remains, I think, doesn't it, uh, the, the classic one, if you like, especially from that uh, tradition. And, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's the a, most popular deck in the world. It's easy to understand, simply. too, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I think it, it has, you know, it speaks to everyone because uh, all of the images are, are of people and people in situations that we can all recognize. Right, absolutely. Now, if people wanted to read more about the, the Kabbalah and whatnot, do you, would you recommend a book? Hmm. Uh, well, uh, you know, I would say anything by uh, Rabbi Arthur Green, you know, his introduction, introductory work to Kabbalistic studies, anything by the author uh, Joseph Dan uh, would be a, a good uh, introduction. Uh, but I, one of the things that I would say is uh, to go uh, with the, the Judaic tradition. There are different traditions of Kabbalah. Uh, one of the things that's interesting uh, about Kabbalah is that in the Renaissance, it kind of split off into several traditions so that um, 
the Christian uh, uh, world in the the time of the Renaissance saw the Jewish mysticism and thought, this is interesting. There's some really deep stuff here. Uh, we'd like to learn more about it, particularly because, as, as you mentioned, there are those top three energies on the, the tree of life. Well, um, you know, the Christians uh, of the Renaissance looked at this and said, wait a minute, you guys keep on saying that God is one, but you're saying not only is God ten, but really the important thing is the, the top three, so that God is three. And uh, this this is one of the reasons, in fact, that uh, the rabbis wanted to keep uh, the Kabbalistic uh, studies secret, because they were worried that people would misinterpret um, the meanings of what they were teaching. That, in fact, uh, you know, for uh, mystical uh, Judaism, God is always one, and in fact, we are not separate from God, uh, so that we are part of that divine unity. But because of our limited understanding, we have to sort of chunk it down into these different uh, energies as a way of being able to take it in. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, there's Again, there's a lot of correspondence between Taoism and, and uh Judaistic understanding, I think, as well, isn't there? This idea that the, the one gives birth to the two, you know, the male or female, which mm. gives birth to the three, uh, and then that gives birth to everything. Um, and and the, the way it, it emanates out for, from that. It, I, I find these correspondences very, very interesting between different uh, religions. The downside is, you know, in the old days and perhaps even today, um, you know, uh, ecclesiastical uh, uh, philosophers have, have tried to explain things, you know, and fit things together that don't belong or, mm. or to, for, to force something to concur with their particular limited view of what mm. their religion is about. And mm. We're not talking about that, are we? We're talking about illuminating something more beautiful and profound than, than trying to fix it, you know. Very definitely, you know. I mean, th these are all different maps of the same territory. Uh, and the question is, which is the map that speaks to your soul in the best way that can yes. take you to that place of unity? Uh, it's different for all of us, which is why there are different traditions. And I, I think all of these traditions are beautiful. It's just a question of what works for you. Uh, one of the things that's important to me in this book is that I bring in wisdom from all different traditions, from Judaism, from Christianity, from Islam, from Hinduism, from Buddhism, in order to show that there are many ways into this practice and there are many ways to experience the divine. Uh, and, you know, I'm not interested in uh, saying this is the only way to do it. It's one of the, the reasons why I give people a choice every day to say, okay, what's the way that speaks best to me where I am at this moment? Because that's the only way we're only going to get somewhere. And not just that, but you have wisdom of Burt Bacharach and, and uh, <laughs> the, the talking heads and, and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, then that, that, why, not, why not? There's wisdom everywhere, exactly. Well, isn't there? You know, the Psalms were all meant to be sung. And, and I think that uh, song is praise uh, and there is wisdom in, in song. And so that when you, you can hear, actually, the voice of the divine in many song lyrics. So you know, every time I, I, I hear a song that speaks to me in a way of a particular uh, divine principle, I think it's important to bring no, absolutely. I'm a big advocate of that. I think there's huge amounts of wisdom in, in rock songs, for instance, you know. 
Yeah. So we're almost at the end of the show. Um, mm-hmm. t- tell us something uh, for for the listeners today that would help us in, in in our in our walk this week. What 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 advice would you give? Uh, the only advice I have for people is to uh, be a space for others, to uh, be less interested in one's own story, and to open our hearts to the stories of others, so that we can be uh, better connected to them and to the divine in that way. Um, and that's one of the things that you'll uh, learn how to do in the book. Uh, if you're interested in learning more, of course, you can go to my website, which is um, gatesoflighttarot.com. Right, so you can uh, chase that one down. Mm-hmm. Uh, see if you uh, like the book. If you do, get it because you're going to not regret it. I think it's available in all the usual outlets, and um, it, it will yield fascinating things for you. And I love that mm-hmm. idea. You know, that when we become interested in others, we expand ourselves in some strange way because we're no longer the small little creatures. You know, that are so self-obsessed. We become larger. And it's, it's sort of counterintuitive, but if, if you want to have a greater sense of possibility, let go of yourself, right? In, enjoy exactly. the larger, uh, larger universe. And uh, why would you limit yourself uh, once you understand that 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 truth, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. you want to give yourself away at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. you know, in, in today's world, where so many people are are, are shouting. And so few people are li- really listening to yes. other people and, and to the pain that other people are expressing, sometimes uh, not necessarily in skillful ways. But to learn to be able to listen underneath for what people are really trying to express, I think, can really open up our world. Yeah, very, very good. Very wise words. Folks, let me tell you about next week's show, and then we'll say goodbye to Mark. Uh, Next week, interfaith minister, life coach, and speaker Janet Ellis joins me, and she's going to talk about her book. It's called Wake Up, Break the Generational Cycle, and Be Yourself. That sounds fascinating, doesn't it? Break the generational cycle and be yourself. Um, I I want more of that, so let's let's, uh, look at that next week. Right now, though... Thank you, Mark, for bringing your insights and your wisdom to today's show. We're very really glad you Thank did. Thank you. It's been very fascinating. And uh, I know that you're going to be interested in this, folks. If you have a, a, any interest at all in at, at Tarot um, or the, the Kabbalah teachings, and, and more importantly, more interest in how it all comes together and how we can be more radiantly alive. That, that's the bottom line on this. Mm. So thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. 